We're turning now to Galatians chapter 4 yet again. I'm going to be dealing with verses really 21 to 31. I don't know that I'll get through it all. But this is a very important, especially important portion of Galatians and the subject that he is dealing with. And just to remind you again, he's dealing with error that had come into the church in Galatia because of the activities of Judaizers, which, as I say, may well have been people who had believed, Jews that is, and had themselves been led astray or hadn't a proper understanding of the truth as it is in Christ Jesus, the new covenant, or indeed were deliberate emissaries of Satan. But they were seeking to add on to the saving work of Christ on Calvary the sum of the rituals at any rate from the old covenant and while it's not mentioned here they were insisting on circumcision that would probably have occurred down the line so to speak it certainly was the case in other areas because it wasn't only in Galatia this was happening where they were insisting on the Gentiles being circumcised and the Apostle Paul equates this going back to observing these rituals or at least these Gentiles being compelled or enticed to observe these rituals from the Old Covenant as to being in bondage he said you were delivered from the bondage of your idolatry now you're going back into another sort of bondage but bondage it is enslavement and so here that he says in verse 21 tell me ye that desire to be under the law do ye not hear the law now it would appear it wasn't just that they were insisting on adhering to the rituals of the old covenant but also obedience to the moral law as necessary to salvation now we should keep the moral law but not in order to be saved but because we are saved and because it is right and proper the moral law is not temporary like the ceremonial was it is permanent it was a misuse of the moral law namely salvation by works which the Bible speaks is the works of the flesh because if you want to be justified by works once you fail you can never catch up because we're supposed to keep the moral law perfectly 100% 100% of the time we're already of course sinned in Adam and guilty before God 
But, leaving that aside for a moment, if we're trying to be justified by works, you fail once, you're lost, you're failed, you're enslaved. You're like a slave working for his master for no recompense. And it reminds me of one of those wheels where you might see a mouse or something and going round on the treadmill, you know, forever trying to catch up, but never can. You fall further and further behind. So the, he speaks of it here as being an enslavement. For nobody can keep the law perfectly, be it ceremonially or moral law. In regard to the ceremonial law, of course, to keep it perfectly, we would have to have the right intent and spiritual frame of mind to do so, even under the Old Covenant. And so he uses this here, the an example from the Old Testament, about Abraham having two sons, the one by a bondmaid, female slave in other words, the other by a free woman. But he who was born of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. And he says these things are an allegory. It's taking something like a historical event that actually happened and applying it in a spiritual manner because it does fit into that spiritual category, as it were. And it is the example of Sarah in the first instance trying to bring to pass the promises of God by human endeavor. God had promised Abraham and Sarah that she would have a son. And from him would be the seed in whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Well, they were both now aged. And she was long past the age of childbearing and so she thought she'd take a hand in matters and so she said to Abraham you go into my you know my slave girl Hagar and have a son a child for me I can't bear the child so we can bring this promise to pass by this means what lay behind it, of course, was unbelief. Now, if you and I were in that position, I think we'd be rather a bit unbelieving as well. Because the promise was made that she would have a son by Abraham. And they're both old. And they're past it. There's no way, naturally speaking, they could have a son. couldn't happen but of course with God all things were possible it was to be a miracle a child of promise but in the event she decided to take matters into her own hand and the fact that she gave him her servant girl shows how desperate she was 
in order for this to come to pass. I've often likened this to modern evangelical activities, namely, because we don't see God moving in power and souls being saved and the church added to, then the church has turned to worldly means, more like light clubs than churches so-called gospel rock, the miracle a minute sort of stuff, all sorts of entertainment to get the people into the church. And they do get them in. But they're not of God because they're not born of the Spirit. Just as there was a child born, Ishmael, but he was a child of the flesh. He was a product of the flesh, not of the Spirit. And so... He said, this child of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, and it is equivalent, he said, to the covenant from Sinai, which, in fact, enslaved, or was now enslaving people, in that it could not deal with the problem of sin that those who were trying to justify themselves before God now in the New Testament age when that covenant was no longer a way to God and, and it was only a way to God as I've often said because of what it foreshadowed they believed in the promises of God they understood albeit darkly what it meant as Christ said of Abraham, he rejoiced to see my day and was glad. So did the other saints of the Old Testament. But once Christ had offered up that one sacrifice for sin, that was finished. So that now those who were trying to justify themselves before God through the ceremonial law were in fact enslaved. They were in bondage because it could never justify them. It was no longer in force, it was finished. There was a new covenant and a better way. And so he said, Sarah and Abraham, by doing what they did, only brought forth a child, all right, but it was of the flesh, not of the spirit. Whereas afterwards then, Sarah did have another child, well, Sarah had a child, should I say, in the proper way, namely Isaac, the child of promise. And so he compares then Ishmael, he said, the child of the bondwoman of the flesh. He said that is the same as Jerusalem that now is. He said, Jerusalem that now is, is in bondage with her children. Jerusalem being the headquarters, of course, as it were, of uh, the Jew, Judaizing, the Jewish religion. Now, because they're still trying to justify themselves under the old covenant, which they can't do, they're in the flesh, they're in bondage, they're enslaved. 
But the other Jerusalem, the one which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. That is, those who are trusted only in Christ for salvation belong to this new Jerusalem, this heavenly Jerusalem, which in fact is the church. The true church, that is. That's the Jerusalem which is above because we're born from above by the Spirit of God. It's a spiritual entity. And it is of the promise because of God promised the Savior that in him many of the seeds of all the nations of the earth would be blessed. What applied then to Jerusalem still applies today. The Jews are still in bondage because they're trying to justify themselves under the old covenant, but they can't even do that. You see, at this period, the temple was still functioning the sacrifices were still being offered up but they were no longer acceptable because it was finished the veil in the temple was rent the way into the holiest of all was through the Lord Jesus Christ the Aaronic priesthood were no more in, the, in God's sight we had a great and still have this great high priest the Lord Jesus Christ who appears in the presence of God for us, not on earth, but in heaven. And so, the Jews can't even now, since the temple was destroyed, they can't obey the Jewish ritual because the sacrifices have ceased. The priesthood is no more. There's no blood shed. So even under the terms of the Old Covenant, they can't be justified. So the Day of Atonement is substituted for a Day of Repentance. But there is no cleansing from sin because there is no blood sacrifice. They reject the sacrifice of Christ. Therefore, the blood of Christ. Jerusalem is in bondage now with her children. Natural Israel is in bondage, spiritual bondage. They're trying to justify themselves by the flesh. By fleshly means, they can't do it. And as I say, I repeat, they cannot keep the old covenant because the means of doing so has been removed by God. Remember I told you, Titus, the Roman general in command of the siege of Jerusalem, did not want the temple destroyed. He gave orders that it shouldn't be. But the Jews made their last stand in the temple. They thought God would come down and protect them. They did put up fierce resistance. And the Roman soldiery were pretty incensed against them. So they threw lighted rams into the temple where they're making their last stand broken. It is Josephus says the blood of the slain flowed down from the steps of the altar, which is very significant in itself. 
but the temple was burnt. And they then leveled it to the ground, plowed up the ground and sowed it with salt. So nothing would grow. This was a common thing if they were really laying a place waste. So they're even more in bondage, if anything, today than they were then. Nothing's changed. Just because they're back in the, 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 the land of Israel, the land of Palestine, they're still in bondage. And if the temple were rebuilt, and if the sacrifices recommenced, and if the Aaronic priesthood was restored, they're still in bondage. Because that is finished. It's not authorized by God anymore. Because there's a new covenant in his blood. It is a rejection of Christ. And the unconverted Jews still reject Christ. To them, he was a fake in insurrection. Whatever names the Pharisees call him, they still call him that. Of course they do. Obviously, if they don't believe he is the Messiah, they're bound to do that. But what Jerusalem, which is above, is free. Jerusalem is, the new Jerusalem is the church of Jesus Christ, the one which is above, of course, is the glorified saints. The mother of us all. So there's a contrast between the earthly Jerusalem and the heavenly. The earthly Jerusalem is the one under the old covenant in bondage. The heavenly is under the new covenant. And then again, as you're well aware of Revelation 21, Revelation 21 is speaking of the glorified church complete. It's, it's wrapping up everything as it were, speaking of the end of the age. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, Revelation 21, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. Because the Bible speaks of the fact that Christ, when he comes again, the judgment takes place, the earth is, the, probably the whole universe, but the earth is it says Malchus Fairman Heat is going to be reconstituted. Christ will dwell with his people where all sin is vanquished, where all the effects of sin is vanquished in a perfect world, an Edenic type world. And it's after this, he says, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It's the glorified church complete. Now descends. And to, so that we're in no doubt as to what this means. We learnt at verse 9, There came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. Well, who's the bride of Christ? The churches. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and he showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. 
Well, what about the earthly Jerusalem? How is it designated now in, in the Bible? Well, let's turn to Revelation chapter 11. It talks about the two witnesses witnessing. Now, I'm, I don't know exactly what this means, and I'm not going into it. But it talks about the two witnesses being put to death and said their dead bodies shall lie in the street of that great city which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt where also our Lord was crucified. But that can only be speaking of the earthly Jerusalem. He designated Sodom and Egypt. Egypt is always a type of the world. Sodom, well, we know what Sodom is. And of course, that's how Jerusalem is now because like the West, they have the Sodomite parades through the city and they're certainly worldly minded. This is not anti-Jew, it's just the fact of life, just like the Gentiles aren't converted. But what, how do Christians refer to Jerusalem today and Israel, the Holy Land and the Holy City? There's nothing holy about it. It was holy in the sense because the Bible speaks of holiness as, as being something set apart unto God without being, as it were, holy in, in themselves or in itself. And so it's referred to as the holy land in that it was set apart by God and given to the, the Jews. But of course they turned it into an unholy place and so on. To call it the Holy Land and the Holy City is unbiblical. It's unholy. This is not me being biased or anything, this is what the Word of God teaches. Otherwise I wouldn't be speaking like I am. And what the Jews need is the Gospel. That's what they need. And then they belong to that Jerusalem which is above. But as long as they are as they are, unbelieving, they're damned. Just like the unbelieving Gentiles are damned. There's no difference. You see, these Judaizers are putting it, even with the saved people, they're, they're putting a dividing line between the saved Jew and the saved Gentile. The Bible doesn't do that. Christ said there'd be one fold and one shepherd, namely literally one flock and one shepherd. Again, we've seen in Galatians, the previous chapter, all who are in Christ, Jew and Gentile, they are the seed of Abraham. They're heirs according to the promise. There's neither Jew nor Greek, bond or free, male or female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. It, it couldn't be plainer. And so he, he uses this, the covenant from Sinai, the old covenant, and the new covenant, the one from Sinai, bondage. The new covenant, free, liberty. One is the earthly Jerusalem in bondage with her children. One is the heavenly. Because we're born from above. Born of the Spirit of God, the bride of Christ. And I've often said Christ is not a polygamist, he is one bride. 
I know it's a spiritual sense, but it's still withholds. So, that which he says, and I repeat it, and here in Galatians, Jerusalem which thou is. is in bondage with her children. It's enslaved. But not the people of God. They will become the people of God if they're converted, but they're not the people of God, just as the Gentiles are not. And then he quotes from a prophecy in Isaiah. For it is written, this is verse 27, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not. Break forth, uh, break forth and cry thou that travailest not. For the desolate has many more children than she that hath, that hath an husband. Again, it is a comparison between the earthly and the heavenly, if we turn to Isaiah 54, which he's quoting from. And he's prophesying of this very time that the apostle is here speaking of. Verse 1, Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear Break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, said the Lord. Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitation. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles, and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. This, of course, is speaking of the church age, the bringing in of the Gentiles. The while God said to Israel, well, I'm married to you, would you play the harlot? Hosea speaks of him divorcing her. And here it speaks now of the barren, I in the Gentile church, there wasn't a church, they were barren. But now, the Jerusalem which is above has more children than the, the Jews from on earth, which had a husband, and rejected him, of course. And so the church has spread over the earth, and the Jews have remained, well, by natural propagation, I don't know whether they're more or less than they used to be, but they're certainly not as many Jews as they are true believers, even in this age. And this is what he's saying. The children of the the, the the woman who is desperate has more children than she that was married and had her husband. And it speaks, as I say, the bringing in of the Gentiles, which obviously this is to do with because it was a Gentile church at Galatia, which the Judaizers were trying to poison with their false teaching. And uh, so... He says, now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. We were promised to the Savior. Originally in Abraham, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. What seed was that? Christ. 
We were promised to Christ. Behold, I and the children which God has given me. We see it in John chapter 6, which I've been to many times. Now one final thing. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. And that is referring to Genesis 21 and 9 when Isaac was born and he was uh, being weaned. We look at it. Verse 9, Genesis 21. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had born unto Abraham, mocking. Well, they mock today, don't they, you know? I mean, you know, the, the Anglo-Catholic, the Romans called us a sect. You know, we're sects, we're not truly Christian, etc. And mock, etc. And look, we've got millions and you've only got a few type of thing. And, uh, but of course it was worse than that because it says, born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit. In this case, it was only mocking, it would seem. But he said, even so it is now. The merely religious will always persecute spirit-born children. Look at the history of the church. Who were the great persecutors of the true Christians in the West at any rate? The Church of Rome. But also the Church of England when it was in its Romanizing stage persecuted the nonconformists, the Puritans and so on. The Covenanting Times in Scotland, that was the Anglican Church trying to enforce Episcopalian rule upon the Presbyterians. Some 28,000 died in that persecution. Many of them tortured because one was of the flesh. Rituals, ceremonies, dressing up, Wherever you see the clergyman dressing up, beware. Will always persecute those who are born of the Spirit. And it's not here talking really about secular, although it could be included in that. But these are religious. The religious always persecute the spiritual. I mean the merely religious. And even today in Israel, the Orthodox Jews give the believing born-again Jews a hard time and do everything possible, bringing false charges against them and so on, everything possible and threatening them even to undermine them. Nothing's changed in that respect, though most of the Jews are liberal and they're like the liberal Gentiles at this moment that couldn't care less one way or the other. But having said that, the secular society is becoming increasingly anti-Christian, certainly in this nation and others. So it is the same. The child of the flesh persecutes the child of the spirit. The natural religion will always persecute the spiritual. It was the same in the Great Awakening. 
Most opposition came from the national church who had departed from the word of God. Remember, the evangelists, Wesley, Whitfield, the others, Harris, Rowland, and so on in Wales, they were all Anglican ministers who were persecuted by the time savers and the unfaithful within the Church of England. So it must have been hard for them to be cast off by their own church they were brought up on and were very loyal to. In my opinion, far too loyal, but they were. But it's the same principle. They were persecuting those who were born of the Spirit. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Notice he uses the word we. He includes himself in this. He, of course, was once belonging to the bondwoman. Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a persecutor. When he speaks about the child of the flesh persecuting the child of the spirit, he's speaking about himself. In that he was the prime mover of the persecution in the beginning against the Christians. But God in his mercy saved him and changed him. So what is to be done? Well, as far as God's concerned, the bondwoman's cast out with her children. As long as they remain in bondage, as long as they remain in unbelief, as long as they continue, well, it's only a remnant of the old covenant they can continue with, as I've already said, they're cast out. Now, when things like this enter into a church teaching these things, they should be cast out shouldn't be tolerated yes we should give them a chance speak the truth to them show them from this Bible where they're wrong and if they will not listen a heretic it says after the first and second admonition reject cast them out it's two things Christians are told to do they're not to involve themselves with false worship like in the Corinthian church he said they shouldn't be going into the temples or having anything to do with it in the first instance now Paul went into the temple and the synagogues not to partake in the rituals but to preach the gospel to them to give them a chance to hear the gospel repent and believe and come out of it he didn't go in there to participate in it and compromise in it. So here he said, cast them out. Those who will not receive the truth and speak in this fashion, saying namely, necessary, necessary to salvation to keep the rituals of the old covenant, they need to be cast out. But they need to be first of all faced up with the implications of what they believe because they are misled. But if presented with the scriptures clearly 
and they're still saying that it is necessary to salvation that we must adhere to these rituals and participate in them that is heresy they must be cast out because a little leaven as, leaven, as Paul says leavens the whole lump and then he says brethren we are not children of the bondwoman but of the free we're not of the earthly Jerusalem we're of the heavenly we're born from above that's the mother of us all she's the bride of Christ not the earthly spiritually called Sodom and Egypt in bondage may God open the eyes of his people who are misled on this and may they see the urgency of the fact that the Jews need the gospel above anything else and I fear that if they carry on as they are they will be overwhelmed by their enemies round about and might be the ultimate destruction of them I don't know, I'm not a prophet but I fear this could be the case because God's not going to be with them if they are rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ and allowing the sinful carry on of course it's now prevalent in the western world in general spiritually Sodom and Egypt Amen, Amen.